1: Hello and welcome to In the Word, a ministry of Calvary Chapel of Orlando. We hope that God speaks to you today as we continue our study verse by verse, chapter by chapter through the Bible with senior pastor Will Ramirez. Today, as we continue with our study in the book of Acts, we see the early days of the church. We'll pick it up in Acts chapter 2, verse 42. Once again, that's Acts chapter 2, verse 42.
0: Well, next it mentions that they continued steadfastly. They persisted in this, the devotion to, it says, in breaking of bread. Now, this refers to the early church practice of what is known as the agape feast, the love feast. Church families would have usually a potluck, and afterwards they would celebrate the Lord's Supper. So in one sense, you could probably see this as kind of an extension of fellowship. But in the other sense, it also shows us the importance of the Lord's Supper to our spiritual growth. And you say, "Why? Why is it that we do it once a month here at church? Why is it that we remember and, and celebrate?" Well, turn over to Luke chapter twenty-two with me. Just a few books to the left. Luke twenty-two, and keep your finger in Acts. We'll be coming back. You know the occasion. Luke 22, 19 and twenty. Jesus is celebrating the Last Supper with his disciples. And Luke twenty-two nineteen. It says, and he took bread and he gave thanks and broke it and gave unto them saying, this is my body which is given for you. This do in remembrance of me. Likewise, also the cup after supper saying, this cup is the new Testament in my blood, which is shed for you. What did Jesus say? Do this in remembrance of me. Do you know how easy it is in the busyness of life Do you forget where your Christian life began? Do you forget where it all started? That the Spirit made you aware of your lost condition and that you ran desperately to the cross for mercy? Do you remember that day? I remember that day. It's easy to forget what Jesus saved you from and how you first fell in love with him. Jesus said, this is my body which is given for you. This is my blood which is shed for you. And taking time to reflect on what Jesus did for you and me, it brings things back into focus, doesn't it? You and I realize how petty our frustrations with others are. We realize how much we need him every moment of every day. And it gets us back on track with loving others and loving God, which is what it's all about, isn't it? I mean, really, when you want to break it down, what Christianity is. Loving God with everything in us and loving others with God's love. See, the Lord's Supper has a way of taking our Christianity from complicated to simple. All these things that we argue about, and all these things that we get offended about, and all these things that, that bother us, that we just get uptight about as Christians. And when you see yourself holding that cup and that brother or sister that you have been at odds with holding that cup, and you remember the fact, you know what? We're all sinners saved by grace. How dare I have those thoughts towards my brother or sister? Lord, forgive me. I still remember there was a time when I was at college and. One of my roommates and I had gotten into a debate about something. Nobody does that, right? When you're young and humble and you, you never have any issues at all. And he said something that really hurt me, and, and I said something that really hurt him. And we were so close as roommates, me and my three roommates. And we weren't talking for three or four days, and you could tell, I could feel it in the whole room. Every time people come in, the other two roommates would be on eggshells because they didn't know what to say. Well, every Tuesday night, we celebrated the Lord's Supper at school. and And there, as we were, sitting and we always sat together at Koinonia, which was when we celebrated the Lord's Supper and, and worship would come forth. And I was sitting here on one side and my buddy was sitting over there and, and, and each of my roommates had sat with each of us. But, you know, so we were separated for like the first time ever. And I remember through that time, I thought, Lord, I can't do this. I can't do this without making things right with my brother. And so I got up and I went around the back. It was about 500 kids all you know gathered in the auditorium. And I got up and went around the back and guess who was on the other side? my other roommate. We just grabbed each other in our arms. We said, I'm sorry. And we forgave each other. I'm sorry for being so stupid and petty and just dumb. And then we we sat down and we celebrated and worshiped together. That's what the church is about, guys. We don't have time to be petty with each other. There's too many people dropping off into hell around us. There's no time for dumb Facebook arguments. And I, I hate to be serious about this. I hate to use that language, but we just don't have time for that we have a task in front of us. We have a task to go out and make disciples. There's no time for this mess. There's no time for bitterness and unforgiveness. There's no time for resentment. There's no time for any of these things. Unless it's a major issue that we could have to part fellowship and go separate ways over, then we need to forgive one another. We need to move on. We need to love one another. And that is why we celebrate the Lord's Supper once a month during our services. The time to come and just to be reminded so that those differences and those issues and those frustrations become right back to that place of our salvation and be reminded. But that doesn't have to be it for you. Just as fellowship is something you don't have to wait till you come here to have, just as being in the word is something that should take place every day. You can celebrate the Lord's Supper anytime with another brother or sister So grab some grape juice, get some Wonder Bread, and then go grab a believer and celebrate the Lord's Supper. I encourage married couples when we do our our first session and we go through these things, I say, have you ever celebrated the Lord's Supper together? It's really hard to continue that argument when you got a piece of bread and a cup of grape juice in front of you and you've got to sit down and remember what Jesus did for you. You'll be blown away by the impact it has in your life as you celebrate and remember what Christ did for you. Grab some believers and go celebrate the Lord's Supper sometime. Now, one final thing before I move on to the next part of Acts chapter 242. Uh, We do not believe that the Lord's Supper imparts special grace to us. Um, Like baptism, it's symbolic. Jesus said, do this in remembrance of me. It's symbolic of something that's already occurred. We're already saved. We're already forgiven. And we're remembering that when we partake. The bread and the juice are not the literal body and blood of Jesus. To do so would be to re-crucify Jesus every time we celebrate the Lord's Supper. And Paul the Apostle in the book of Hebrews said very clearly that Jesus died once for all, right? Once for all. So we don't believe that. We don't believe there's anything mystical in that. But we do believe that it has a crucial impact on our lives as we remember. Well, lastly, it says here they continued steadfastly in prayers. Notice it's plural, prayers. This refers to private prayer as well as public or corporate prayer. But it specifically, I think, means that prayers should be an ongoing part of our lives. It's not a prayer, but prayers. There should be prayers going up all over this campus when we gather together. Prayers with one another and for one another before the service. Corporate prayers as we experienced during the service. Private prayers as God is speaking to your heart during the message and you apply it to your life. And then prayers with one and for another after the service. You might say, well, what does that look like? Well, what exactly is prayer? Well, prayer just simply means to speak or to make a request to God, to speak with or to make a request of God. And this is why it's integral to our personal Christian growth. How do you deepen a friendship with someone? You spend time talking to them, getting to know them. I've been married for almost 20 years. I'm still learning things about my bride. We'll sit down and we'll talk and we'll chit chat about something and she'll throw something out there. And I thought, I never knew that about her. I I never knew she liked that. Or I never knew she thought that way. How cool is that? Or maybe not so cool sometimes, but that's cool because you need to have that talk. You know, you need to have that talk, right? The word of God is how he speaks to us. Prayer is how we speak to him. And do you spend time talking to God every day? Do you ask him to work in your life and and others' lives in specific ways each day? Do you find someone to pray with each time we gather together? Oh, how we need prayer, guys. You know, I would encourage you. I've said it the last few weeks, but don't leave today without praying with somebody. Even if it's just things are great, then pray they stay great, right? Pray that God will give you the strength as things break down throughout the week. You know, sometimes they do. But this persistent devotion that they had in the the Word of God and in fellowship and in celebrating the Lord's Supper and in their times of prayer, personal and corporate. But this persistent devotion to these things, it produced certain results in the church. And so starting in verse 43, we see some very specific things that happened as a result of this. Verse 43 says, and fear came upon every soul and many wonders and signs that were done by the apostles. That word fear, it means profound respect and awe. Let me ask you, what kind of an impact could we have on our city if each of us were more in love with Jesus than we'd ever been? What kind of an impact could we have? I mean, seriously, how many believers do you know that approach their faith with a ho-hum attitude? where? Their lives throughout the week don't match the raised hands and all the smiles and all the things that go on on a Sunday morning. The fear of the Lord, the Bible says, is the beginning of wisdom. And the more that we are in his word, the more connected we are to one another, the more we seek God's face in prayer, and the more we remember what he did for us on the cross, then guess what? The harder it's going to be to just go about life, right? God wants to impact our Jerusalem. Like he impacted this Jerusalem. He wants to impact our Jerusalem right here. We live in one of the largest cities in the United States. We need to reach them. And it's not gonna, it, it, Yes, we need to have purposeful times where we reach people. But do you know, how did you come to the Lord? Most of us probably didn't come to the Lord through an outreach. Most of us probably didn't come to the Lord through a special church event. Most of us probably came to the Lord. How from no one another believer that minister Christ to us. of believers come to Christ because someone else invited them. It's that simple. This is how we're going to impact our city. Yes, we're going to do outreach. Yes, we're going to, we do evangelism. You know, I want to encourage you to be a part of that. Do that. Go do street evangelism. That's important. But 90% of the people who are going to get saved, who are going to come here, that we are going to reach, are going to be through each and every one of you sitting where you are in your everyday life, as you go to work, As you work on your yard and mow the lawn and and as you interact with your family, that is how we're going to reach them. Secondly, we see not only a reverence for God was the result of these things, that's a result of a healthy Christian life as you have a reverence for God. I'm always concerned when I see someone who doesn't have a reverence for God. But the second thing it mentions is supernatural power. It says many wonders and signs were done, not by the apostles, that's a bad translation, but through the apostles. Jesus, by his spirit, was the one doing these signs and wonders. But a top question that I hear from Christians is, why don't we see miracles today like we did in Acts? Maybe you've wondered that. Well, (laughs) I would actually usually respond to that question by saying, go to the Sudan or go to Thailand or go to Iran. God is doing miracles. But in many of these places, people don't have home entertainment centers, NFL Sunday ticket, or iPhones. And they don't spend hours watching reruns of The Honeymooners and any other type of show that you might find on Netflix or Amazon Prime. How much more would God do if we were simply out there interacting with other people regularly? I'm not trying to step on your toes. I'm not trying to rob you of all the fun things that you do. But I would ask an honest question. Is the proportion of time that you're doing your own thing out of order with interacting with others? We get so busy, don't we? And because we're so busy, we get so distracted. And I wonder if we can even hear God with all the noise. There are times when the Lord tells me, he says, shut it off, take out the earphones I guess earbuds now is the the phrase. And just be quiet for just a little bit, Will, and see what I want to do. I want to encourage you. You want to see miracles? Go ask the people who do jail ministry, the people who do the homeless ministry, and ask if they see miracles. They do. God is working. God's hand is not short that he cannot save, his ear is not deaf that he cannot hear. But so often it is our carnality and our sin that separates us from the things that God wants us to do. What does it say in Hebrews chapter 12? Where he says, Let us lay aside what? The sin, but what else does it say? The weight, right? The weight that so easily ensnares us. It's not even a bad thing necessarily, it's just something that weighs us down. If you're running a race, I don't even know if they still do this, but back in the 80s, it was really cool to train with weights on your arms and weights on your legs. So guys would run around and they had these big, huge things of weight strapped to their ankles. And they thought, yeah, because when I'm out running, I'll be light. And of course, then they're pulling hamstrings and all that sorts of stuff. but, But you would never run the race with those things. What is weighing you down? Talk to a missionary. Talk to those who go street witnessing. They'll tell you about miracles. See, to see miracles, we have to subtract other things from our lives. Next, it mentions in verse 44, and all that believed were together and had all things common and they sold their possessions and goods and parted them to all men as every man had need or as every man was lacking. This was not quite the communal living that would plague the church at Jerusalem later on. This simply means that property was sold as needs arose within the church. Now, you might say, well, why were there such pressing needs? Well, remember, out of these 3,000 people that got saved, they were from all these different countries that were outside of Jerusalem, right? They had heard them speaking in tongues the wonderful works of God in their own language, but everyone that's mentioned is miles, hundreds of miles away from Jerusalem, So as many of these new believers were from outside of Jerusalem, they didn't want to leave uneducated in their newfound faith. They didn't want to go away from this fellowship and this sharing that they had together. And so they wanted to learn more about Jesus and how awesome it was that other believers generously helped them. Generosity is always a result of a healthy church. A healthy church is going to be a giving church. And I'm not just talking about tithes and offerings. When I say that a healthy church is a church that longs to see the needs that are out there, that has open hands with what God gives to them. Says, Lord, you've blessed me with this. Lord, here's my paycheck, or here's this blessing, this tax return, whatever it might be. Lord, what do you want me to do with it? What do you want me to do with it? I had a roommate at school who he blew me away. God would he worked at a five-star restaurant as a, a server, and, and God would just give him these huge tips. People like Patrick Swayze and other people lived in the area, so they would come and they'd make it rain. So they would pay for everybody's stuff and give these huge, massive tips to my friend. And, and I thought, man, how does my buddy get this job and get all these tips and stuff? But I would watch every time he would get like a huge six or seven hundred dollar tip, he would go out and he'd pay for someone else's tuition that semester. Everything that God gave to him, it was with open hands. And so God knew he could keep pouring in because he knew he'd never grab onto it and hold tight. And he would always say, Lord, what do you want me to do with it? Christians should be the most generous people of all people in light of how generous Jesus has been to us. What did Jesus say? It's more blessed to give than to receive, right? We should be the most generous people because the more we learn about what he did for us, the more it should spur us to want to give more of our own to help others. Verse 46 And they continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house did eat their food with gladness. Meat means food, food with gladness and with singleness of heart. Not only was there a reverence for God, there was generosity, there was supernatural power, but here we see there was unity, joy, and contentment. Warren Wearsby said, the Christians you meet in the book of Acts were not content to meet once a week for service as usual. They met daily. They cared daily. They won souls daily. They searched the scriptures daily and they increased in number daily. Their Christian faith was day-to-day reality, not a -a once-a-week routine. I don't know how to belabor this point anymore, but guys, we need each other. We need to reach out together. Jesus, when he sent them out, he sent them out two by two. And what the enemy wants to do is he wants to isolate you. But the Lord, he puts us together for a reason. We need each other. So their hearts, it says here, they continue in daily with one accord in the temple. That was their church, by the way. They went to the temple and that's where they had church. So they continued daily with one accord. Again, it means with one mind or unanimously. They had unity with one another. A church where people walk in and there's lots of fighting and infighting and all sorts of tension and whatnot. What kind of a message does that send to the lost or to the hurting believer? Would you open up to a church where you see a bunch of people fighting and arguing with each other? Would you share your struggles? It says they broke bread from house to house and they did eat their food with gladness, joy. The word there, Gladys, it means a state of intense joy, usually verbalized or expressed in body language. I don't dance very well, but when we broke out that last song about when Christ comes to reign and his righteousness covering the earth like waters cover the sea. I love it when I come up here and I look out and I see a couple of you guys moving back and forth. I understand some personalities are kind of chill and that's cool. You can be chill. I see your finger kind of. It's okay. That's good. But the idea is when your heart has been overwhelmed with the gladness of the Lord, it should show. If you're happy and you know it, tell your face. (laughs) I know we hurt sometimes. But joy comes in the morning, right? Joy comes in the morning. Someday our Savior is coming to rescue us. We have something to shout about. We have something to smile about. Even when our whole world is crashing down. We have hope. The world doesn't have hope. They they have this false hope. You ever watch the Academy Awards and then you get up here and they say, keep the faith. What do you tell them? Keep the faith. Does that mean if I wake up and I'm still alive and I'm happy that I can do it again? Be miserable again another day and try again and fail? We have hope as Christians. We of all people have hope. Because we have a savior who loves us, who died for us, who's coming back for us, who's going to fix all this mess that we're in. It mentions also that they ate their food with gladness and with singleness of heart. It's simplicity. First Timothy 6.6 6 says, but godliness with contentment is great gain. Unity, joy, and contentment is the sign of a healthy church, a healthy believer. Verse 47 says, as they were there gathered, they were praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily, such as should be saved praising the word there means to speak the excellence of a person. Isn't our God excellent? Our God is excellent. You know what that means? It means he is above. He excels. He is higher. He is greater. He is worth a shout. He is worth a sense of excitement. He is worthy of us speaking and saying, you're awesome. And when we learn what God is like and what he's done for us in the word, what else is more natural than speaking and singing of how awesome he is? It's a direct result of being in the word and in fellowship and remembering what he did for us and in prayer. And then lastly, we also see evangelism. A healthy church reproduces. Pastor Chuck always used to say, healthy sheep beget healthy sheep. That's why we gather to grow as a sheep, to be a healthy sheep. And what does a natural healthy sheep do? Has baby sheep. That's what happens. It mentions here, it says that they were praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. The word there, a phrase there, such as should be saved, is a bad translation because it gives the false impression that God only wants to save a select group. It should actually be translated the ones who are being saved. God added to the church those who are being saved. In other words, when they got saved, they came into the church. That's the natural way things should be. You get saved, you get plugged into a church somewhere. And that's what happened as the Lord was rescuing people from sin. Where are we? When our focus is the public and private study of God's word, of sharing our Christian life with others, remembering what Jesus did, and both corporate and personal prayer, it changes you. And then being changed filled with a reverence for God, a generosity, seeing and open to God's supernatural working, being in unity, having joy, experiencing contentment in our lives and producing worship and evangelism in our hearts. When that happens, then God does what he does. He rescues the lost. That's what he's in the business of doing, but he has chosen you and me. Chosen the foolishness of preaching, the Bible says. God could pick his angels. The angels could come and they could announce it to everybody. In fact, in the book of Revelation, it says they're going to do just that. When all the believers are in hiding because they're being massacred by the Antichrist, it says an angel's going to come out all around the world preaching the everlasting gospel. But today, he has chosen the foolishness of preaching. You and me. Fancy that. These clay pots that he has placed his treasure in. The treasure of his son. That you and I have experienced. This is the description of a healthy church that is filled with healthy believers. Does it describe us? Does it describe you? I want to encourage you. I know anytime I read this chapter, Acts 242 is kind of, it's the Calvary verse. We say, This is why we do what we do. But these things, the teaching of the Word of God, our own study of the Word of God, prayer, fellowship, and celebrating the Lord's Supper, these things, every time I study this passage, I get Rechallenged challenged in my own life? Where am I at in the Word? Am I receiving God's Word from others? Where am I at in my prayer time? Where am I at in my fellowship with other Christians? Am I really sharing my Christian life, or do I just go through the motions? Praise the Lord! Hallelujah! It's good to see you, brother! Am I really sharing my Christian life, and have I been remembering what Christ did for me with regularity? I don't know what area God may have challenged you today, but don't leave today Without responding. Whatever it is that God has spoken to your heart, whether it's being in the Word or a deeper prayer life or more fellowship with other believers, or maybe you've just kind of gone through the motions when we celebrate communion, or maybe you've never done it with your family or with other believers in a small group environment. I want to encourage you, make a commitment today to say, Lord, from this moment forward, this area that you've spoken to me about, I will not be the same. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, you know what's in everyone's heart right now. You know what you've put your finger on, and so here we are, Lord. We yield ourselves to you. We give ourselves to you. Lord, would you take this air of our lives as we commit to you? We want to be more faithful. We make a choice. Lord, we want to be healthy believers. Lord, rescue the lost through us as we go forth from here. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.
1: There are so many things that occupy our time and keep us busy, but God loves to see us growing in grace and love as we spend time with him in his word. As you're going through your day today, Don't forget to make time for Him. This has been In the Word with Pastor Will Ramirez, a ministry of Calvary Chapel of Orlando. You can listen to all of Pastor Will's sermons and find other valuable resources online at www.calvarychapelorlando.com or on the Calvary Chapel Orlando app available on iTunes and Google Play.